Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to be discussing Monday's interview with Doug Hirschberger. And I'm excited to talk about how to think about being a leader with an evidence-based approach and how important that is to have information as a leader and to know how and when to share that with other people. Joining me back in the studio to discuss Monday's episode are my friends and fellow leaders, Austin Broom, Creed Hendrickson, and Maria Hardiman. How are y'all doing? Doing great. great. Thanks for having us. What did y'all think about Monday's episode? I thought it was really, really good. I think Doug had some real zingers in there. Yeah? Anything that uh, that kind of sticks out initially? The best one I think that I liked of his, he talked about that the general posture of his life, that concept, I really, really liked. And he was talking about it um, kind of in the negative sense before that it wasn't early on in his life. It wasn't geared towards fitness. It wasn't geared towards health. Um, but, but taking that idea of, you know, your general posture and then extrapolating that into the rest of your life. Um, I think it was a really, really cool concept for me to delve into myself later. Yeah. Maria? I always find it really inspiring when I hear um, any man or woman talk about how they take the bull by the horns. I'm going to increase my quality of life. I'm going to be healthy. And they take on their unique ways of doing that. I think it's awesome. Creed, any thoughts? I was amazed by how Doug simply saw the next step and he took it. He didn't hesitate. There were multiple times in his life he said, I want to do that. It's not going to be easy, but I do know that I want to do it. Let's go. Let's start right now. Not easy, but he looked at it very simply. Mm-hmm. Yep. He talks about, I just mm-hmm. started toying with my diet. I started mm-hmm. looking at, yeah, I, I like that it was, he knew something needed to change. So he just started tinkering with it and changing some things. He, he kept it simple. He wasn't yeah. trying to think, okay, I've got to get a PhD. I got to do all this. No, I know what's in front of me. I know what I eat. Let's change that first. And and he does he does value education and certifications and things like that because he's gotten those. But I did like that he he talked about how a lot of especially when it came to nutrition, a lot of it's just about keeping the basics. Mm-hmm. You know, it it doesn't have to be anything fancy. And that's something that stuck out to me about evidence based approaches because a, a lot of times we may think that evidence based means really complex or whatever else. But the truth is sometimes it's it's the simple stuff. But I wanted to start off with kind of a, a, a deep, big, high-level question, which is where in life is evidence-based information important, and maybe where is it not as important? Any thoughts there? I think some initial thoughts that I have is evidence-based information is important to mothers, uh, mothers who, like, after after giving birth and, and wanting to get their emotions right and get their head on straight. You know, it's been such a great help to have evidence-based information on how the body works, how the mind works, how we change, what changes, and how to to really have a high quality of life even after all of those changes. That's the first initial thought that I have. Doug defined evidence-based 
practices as those that rely on on three different things. The first is the scientific evidence. The second one is the expertise of the practitioner. For Doug, he would be the practitioner in his own practice as a, a coach and a trainer. And then the third thing is the clients and their views, values, and experiences. And and holding all three of those things together, he said, anytime one of those legs uh, is not as strong, anytime one of those branches is not as strong, then it's not really evidence-based. And and he said the one that usually falls to the wayside the fastest is the, the scientific um the scientific insight. Yeah, I, I appreciated that analogy uh, because I think that's that's probably where I tend to fall on the the spectrum of of evidence based versus kind of the going with your gut um, because I think there's room like you know I'm a I'm a parent I've got a, a just over a one year old son now and um, there are times that I've had to go with my instinct or go with my gut on what to do with my kid. But as a mode of operation, I prefer to have evidence-based stuff because I'm dealing with somebody else's life in particular. When I'm dealing with my own personal things, I'm a little bit more loose and willing to try stuff um, because I know I can be really careful and the only person that's affecting is me. But especially when I'm dealing with other people, I tend to try to lean more on that evidence-based as much as possible. Uh, but But I like Doug's stool analogy because the stool itself, you know, the legs, he's got different things, including the, that scientific evidence base, but the actual stool itself is talking about balance and health. Yeah. Like that is the end goal. And you get there by focusing on all three of those different legs or, or however many you need to, to keep balance. That's the point. Um, so as long as you keep that as the intention, I think that you'll end up in the right place. I had two different thoughts stem from that question. The first being There's positive information that comes from science, things you can know for sure. Okay, we can positively affirm that this is a reality, that this is true. But there's also a body of information called negative information in that, okay, we don't know what is there, but we know what is not there. So I think that's a good perspective to have when you're going into um, kinesiology or different workouts or even in the leadership realm. Okay, we don't necessarily know what is for sure there. But Austin, you were talking about this earlier with your brothers. Okay, I've seen my brothers do things. And that was bad. So I know that I shouldn't do that. And that is often referred to as a negative body of information. I have five brothers, grew up with five brothers and realized, okay, I don't want to do that. That's negative, not good. And so let's shape my life into a different way. The second thought I had that an area of life that would not be very helpful to have an evidence-based perspective on would probably be a creative, maybe more artistic side. Science is often seen as deductive in that it's a closed system. We can only observe what is already there. In a creative world, you want to create something new, something a little bit brighter, something a little bit more blue. Therefore, you're introducing new information. So in the creative realm, I don't think this approach would be that helpful. So actually, uh, Creed, I had an interesting thought on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I believe it was actually Picasso who said that uh, in order to, to break the rules of the arts, you have to know the rules of the arts. Mm. And so I think even in the realm of the, the arts, I think that there is space for evidence-based stuff, even if it's just as a launching pad off into other things, kind of that going with your gut. But I think if you can keep that base level of, I at least have some informed understanding to go off of, I think if you step away from that, then maybe you're, you're jumping off into the wrong pool. So, so a couple of the areas of life that are helpful to have evidence-based practices, Maria, you mentioned some of the, the medical sides of things. Austin, you said basically whenever 
other people are involved. When it's just you, maybe you don't care what the evidence says. But <laughs> but when others are involved, all of a sudden you realize your actions affect a lot more people, just like in, in the medical industry. So Creed, you've, you've kind of talked about some areas, or at least one area, art, where you would say that evidence-based practices are not as important, just by nature, the fact that you called it an, an open system. Maybe what are some, some other areas in life that are not as important for evidence-based practice, in addition to art, for instance? I think an area that comes to mind is pain and suffering. Oftentimes, I've heard people address pain and suffering is not an area of, okay, I'm suffering. Someone walks in and says, hey, 9 out of 10 people while they were suffering when they did this, they received a direct benefit and they were actually able to get through it. That is not helpful when someone is in pain and suffering. What they want is your presence. That's all they're asking for is someone to be there and someone to hear, which is not really necessarily a quantifiable action that has a direct correlation to these results. Oh, that's true. Because evidence is, even though it's it's rooted in in truth and study and and you know, perhaps even a more accurate depiction of reality, um, it it's not as relatable and it's not as personal. Yeah. So like. I like that because I, I wouldn't lead in a relational aspect. If I'm trying to get a relational goal or, or message across, I'm not going to lead with facts or statistics or evidence somewhere. Yeah, that I think that's wise. Yeah, and to add to that, the relational aspect of it, um, I think of forgiveness. You know, when you just present the truth and you're saying, these are the facts, so this is what it is, and not considering if you're, you know, hurting that person, offending someone, uh, that doesn't get you really anywhere. Or does it in, in your life? Because it, it doesn't work for me. It seems that truth at the proper time, given at the proper time, is is key. And Doug kind of hits on that a little bit, too. I can say that I've only had one counseling course in my life. And they're, they're definitely, even within the realm of counseling and psychology, there is there is a lot of, of evidence there. But uh, to, to the points that have just been made you don't need to bring those statistics to people's mind, which which goes back to what Doug was talking about with knowing when and how to share information. So maybe we can come a little bit back from the deep end, which is we just kind of, we kind of jumped right in. So if you're still listening, thank you so much for not being scared away by heavy and deep conversation. But that leads me to what Doug was talking about, which is there's power in the information that we have hmm. and how as leaders, going back to something that's maybe more practical to our own experiences, how have you handled information when you've had it and others have not, especially as a leader? How do, how do, you, how do you handle that? I work at a group home for um, girls who are 17 and younger who have been charged of nonviolent crimes. And a lot of times when we have several girls in the house, like three or more girls, really two or more girls in the house, I have to be really careful with the information that I give to the other girls. Um, very practically, the other night we had the cops at the house um, because there was a situation that happened and half of the house was asleep. So do I get up and tell everyone, hey, here is what's going on. This is what this particular girl is dealing with. Or do I not? And do I keep the peace? And do I regain control of the situation by withholding some of that very important information to some of the the other girls and, and women who are in the house in order to resolve this situation. I, I like that. And I think truth is a good thing. Um, but I think truth at the right time is the best thing. So for example, um, I, you talked about keeping the peace a little bit. 
Um, I, I've had several instances where um, I, I fight this because I'm all about truth. Um, that, that's kind of ingrained in my personality is, dang it, if I'm not going to do the right thing, even if it, it gets me in trouble. Well, but sometimes it'll actually get you in trouble when it really shouldn't have or couldn't have. I just barreled in and gave the truth. And I, I really liked what uh, Doug said about, he didn't say this exact wording, but basically he said, when you're leading with knowledge, it's, it's not a knowledge dump. It's not me saying, okay, I have truth. I'm just going to give it to you. It's okay. I have truth. Now I have to discern what to do with it, how to use it, how to give it to you. It's not just, okay, I have it here. Now you can have it. What kind of resource do you want to be with that information? Yeah. Yeah. It's not just, oh, come to me and I'm just going to tell you everything that I know because that would get really boring really fast. Um, but to be able to use that discretion and discernment, I really appreciated that, that he said that that was a little bit convicting for me because that tends to be my, my mode of operation is just to go in and boom, hear the facts. So I think that the really cool thing though, is that true effective leadership with knowledge, it factors in timing, um, including occasions where you may actually never tell somebody information. Um, and I think, I think that should be a very limited and use extreme discretion and probably even some extra advice from other people to, to do that. Um, but I, I really liked that he said, you know, that, that timing is actually the most important thing, not the fact that you have the knowledge and want to convey it. It's actually about how and when you do it mm-hmm. or if. Mm, the timing is something I was going to reference as well, specifically within a team setting. As a team leader in my life and currently, there are times when I have a very set of specific information that I know that the, the team is working towards knowing. Sometimes it'll be um, a simulated experience that I need them to go through to learn this. He mentioned specifically, you need to set your pride aside. Oftentimes we as human beings have a piece of information and think, okay, I've got this. I can't wait just to share it with everybody. I just want to tell everybody, but it's not practical. It's not helpful. Specifically within the team setting, you need to wait. Because them having that information is not going to develop your team in any way. How they get the information, the process that they go through, what roles the individuals play, the quality, not necessarily the quantity of the communication that they have, that is what's really important. I think the information is important for them to do the next step, but it's how they take that information and use it. Small group dynamics have um, a basic model of the first step is intake or input. Then the second step is throughput, and the third step is output. So if you have too much input initially, it'll clog the throughput, and there will be no output. So you as the leader have to figure out the fine-tuning of each individual group of saying, okay, if I give them just a little bit of information, okay, now I've got to give them a lot of information because their throughput is dying. There's not enough. Or, okay, there's too much right now. Let me take a step back and see how they're producing. That takes, obviously, what he called um, expertise of the practitioner, but mm-hmm. that is one idea of how to handle the information you're giving. And, and that is one reason why it's so important to, to have that, that three leg stool, right? Where you can, you can have, you can go read some scientific journals in whatever topic you care about and get some answers and you can go and use that information in a very inappropriate way. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to have that expertise of the practitioner and also the understanding of what the client needs and what they're thinking and what they're experiencing. Yeah, I, I did have one thought on that, um, about one more thought on the leading with, with knowledge. Um, some of the most powerful moments of my life have been when somebody actually didn't tell me something. Mm-hmm. And, and may, maybe that's like a nonverbal too. Um, it doesn't mean they're just completely withholding information or lying to me. Um, but 
You look at any any really moving moment in in like coaching movies or, or things like that, sports movies, where some of the most powerful moments they're actually not saying stuff. It's what they're withholding that is actually bringing people to a better sense of revelation themselves because, all right, I'm withholding. I could just tell you the answer, but I'm waiting just that little Mm -hmm. bit longer so that when you figure it out, I can confirm it. And that's the more powerful thing. I I love seeing that. That's probably my favorite aspect of movies is that, that judgment, that right judgment of withholding information for your betterment. And as a leader, I find it particularly gratifying watching myself go through the process of putting others before me, considering their personalities, considering what they need to hear, when they need to hear it, and then really hitting the mark. Like I took care of this person's heart. I gave them the information that they needed and now they're more successful in whatever it is that we're doing. And I can see that joy in a lot of leaders' uh, faces whenever they're, they want to do the right thing, but they have that authority and that knowledge to get something done, finding the right timing, finding that perfect moment to help people be successful. Yeah. And I think, I think there can be some difficulty in that because people are not letting you know oftentimes when they're not telling you information. <laughs> and so when you're starting out as a leader, unless you've had someone come along and say, hey, this is how I do it and this is how you can think about it, mm-hmm. then you really have to just pick that up through experience. And that can be a, that can be a difficult thing because you don't necessarily come into leadership realizing that that's what you need to do. And that's where a lot of early missteps can happen. And that once again goes back to the importance of having a mentor, having a leader in your life who can kind of let you know that Part of leadership is knowing something and not giving people all of the information at one time. So were there any other thoughts from what Doug shared that that stuck out to you as as important as relating to evidence-based leadership or, or anything else that he talked about? Austin mentioned this earlier, but the phrase general posture of my life. I hadn't heard someone use that specific phrase in that way before. And it made me think Austin asked a question before we started this of, okay, what are you guys thinking about your general postures of life? But I wanted to see what you guys thought. Like what's, what is the general posture? Of I love life? that stepping in and taking someone else's question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, I, thought, I thought I just couldn't wait. That was, I just, when you said that earlier, I was, see, like, I was withholding is, the information. Uh, I was like, that was judged. awesome. <laughs> I was like, I just thought that was an awesome question. I loved I, it. I'd like to say, I, one thing that I've been telling myself is Maria have an adjuster's spirit you know just that pioneer you're gonna do it you may be doing it alone you may have to go through the the thistles you know before everyone else but the path behind you is now clear for the people that are behind you so adjust be flexible grow um, be teachable and so I I do I can confidently say that I have I've worked to make my general posture in life to be uh one who's teachable, one who's teachable, one who can grow uh, in the midst of having authority and trying to figure it out myself. Yeah. Confession moment here. Um, As a general posture of my life, um, I'm being raw with you guys here, Uh, but I I know mine is I tend to prefer the path of least resistance or the easy way, uh, which, which directly contradicts the advice that he's, Doug is giving in here when he's talking about, you know, read the book, do hard things. You need to do hard things not not stretching yourself so far that you're actually injuring yourself or, or running the wrong direction, but you want to be putting challenges in front of yourself because that's that's yeah. how you're going to grow is look at your life and say, okay, where are the areas that I know I'm not as great and then go attack those areas. 
Um, and so that's, that's something that was a little convicting for me that I'm going to have to, to go. And I've, the sad thing is I've read that book. I've read the book, do hard things. <laughs> I read it in high school and it, it, it did have a big impact on me. Uh, but I guess I, I probably need to go back and reread it because as my life gets harder, I like to think, Oh no, I'm just going to step back. I've got plenty to do. But what he's saying is that posture needs to be, no, no, you got to press in. You've got to lean into it. So I, I thought that was really, really wise and, again, very convicting. Yeah, so you, you asked the question as to the posture of my life right at the end of a crazy semester. And by the time that anyone listens to this, the sun will be shining again. But <laughs> right now I have two major research projects that need to be finished up breathing down my neck. Are they evidence-based? So, what's that? No, sorry, go ahead. Are they evidence-based? <laughs> They are. <laughs> that, that's part of what research project. I sure hope so. Yeah. So, so, um, in, in the last few weeks and probably even month, it's just been a, a full on sprint. And I know other people in my class have felt the same way about one of these classes in particular. It's just taken a lot out. So the posture of my life recently has just been like full sprint, uh, full steam ahead, not a whole lot of rest, not a whole lot of balance. And I'm really excited for when you are listening to this because it means that I'm regaining balance in my life. <laughs> well, I, I love what Doug said about balance too. He's, I actually, if I were to characterize Doug and, and kind of his, his interview, I would say that he is completely focused on balance, which sounds kind of like a, a paradox there to be completely focused on balance. But he, in everything that he does, he'll, he'll say something and you're like, wow, that's really good. I can take that and run with it. But then he'll come back and say, but that's not the whole picture. You need to, to weigh in the other side that's too. Good. And one of the things, for example, when I'm talking about my tendency is to go path of least resistance, but I need to be leaning in, right? Yes, I can take that away from what Doug said. But he also said, take time every single day and you need to rest. So take even if you just take 10 minutes a day and do nothing, like breathe deeply, sit, take a walk. So I, I love that he's saying, lean in, yes, press in, go hard, challenge yourself but take a rest. I, I love that, that he, mm. he juggles really well. I think he juggles all of these different aspects of life sure. that you need to have to be healthy, all the different legs of the stool, if we're going to use that analogy again. So I'm going to go ahead and take someone else's question. Uh, we were talking about it beforehand and I don't know who asked this, but I'll go ahead and take it since uh, that seems to be the, the theme of the day. <laughs> probably mine again. <laughs> so do, do y'all actually, <laughs> probably mine that is again. my question. <laughs> <laughs> right, wait, wait, I'll ask this question then. All right. I'll, I have a question that I've I've let Austin ask, and so he's going to ask it. For I'm taking it for my now. question back. Yeah. So, uh, all that to say, do you guys actually intentionally take time for rest every day? And if so, what do you do for that? My first step is in the morning. First thing when I get up, um, I run through various parts of the scriptures in the Bible. I've got a couple of those memorized, um, specifically Psalm 27 and Psalm 3. Right now, um, those are written specifically at different times. And I believe in the life of David um, and those have reflected my life recently. So I think getting up and spending time meditating on something outside of ourselves draws our eyes exteriorly, whatever gets your attention gets you. And so if you want to focus solely on your life and your difficulties and your struggles, then that's where you automatically go every day. But if you have something to elevate your eyes to something greater beyond yourself, whether it's focusing on, um, my goal today is to produce this. My goal today for you, Josh is, or your goal, I guess for today is to finish your research projects. You have something greater you're 
lifting your eyes towards. Um, that's what I try to think about or focus on at the beginning of every day. I particularly uh, really care how I wake up. So I, I, I have spent time finding like the perfect alarm <laughs> to not have my eyes open with anxiety. And Please give me that alarm. <laughs> I need that. It's actually the soundtrack to a, a documentary about babies. And it is like the <laughs> best alarm. And some people are shocked because they're like, how do you wake up to that? But I'm just, I wake up so refreshed. Um, I don't have a morning routine, but I do I don't make myself jump right out of bed. I let myself lay there for just a minute. Um, I would love to be more disciplined in in my meditation um, times and times to rest. But that really does help me a lot. Waking up to an alarm that doesn't automatically give me anxiety right as I open my eyes. See, that, that lying still for a, a few more minutes turns into uh, a lot longer than that for me. So <laughs> congratulations to you for that. I would say that there's a difference between meditation and prayer in my mind. Even though I'm praying every day, I, that's, this, that's more of an, an active thing than just sitting there and breathing. So I don't think I do the, the sitting there and breathing part very well. I know that can be really beneficial and relaxing and things like that. And that's, that's something that from this interview, Doug um, he has some good insight to offer there. I, th I think there's a difference between the two of those, and I think both of them have an important place in our lives. And I, it's one of those things where I always have something, I always have something out there that I need to be doing, and so uh, I need to include um, the thought of resting as one of those things that I need to be doing. Because if not, then by default it kind of gets thrown out because it's not, it doesn't seem as active or mm. as as important. But I think that's one thing that Doug brings up, which is. Sometimes the things that are most important to do are the things that maybe don't feel like the things that are moving you forward, but they really are beneficial to your life. Uh, and I'm catching a theme. Uh, it seems like several of us are, the, the focus is on how I wake up in the morning or what I do first thing in the morning. Um, and I think I'm, I'm learning more from kind of the wrong, wrong experience side of that, that that's an important thing. Um, so I, I get up at, at 4:45, and I've got an hour drive into work. Um, but what I've I've started doing is working out when I right when I get to work. So mm. actually, I get up a little bit earlier and I go into work and I work out. And for me, that's kind of my way to to process things externally, like you were saying, because I get so in my head um, that it it'll I mean just destroy me and wreck me. Mm. Um, so just to be able to take some kind of time, and for me, that's that's time to go work out and lift weights. That's what gets me out of my own head and gets me started because it's a routine every morning. Uh, but I also do things to try to help alleviate, kind of like what Maria was saying, alleviate that stress when I wake up in the morning because I'm getting up at 445. It's still dark. So what I try to do is pack all of my stuff that I need beforehand and then leave it right by my bed so that as soon as I get up, I know where everything is. I know I've already picked out what I'm going to wear. It's all packed, ready to go. So all I have to do is put my clothes on, grab my keys and go out the door. Um, so just a way to, to start my day a little better. I should probably do the actual meditation thing though, like you were saying, Josh, cause lifting weights is great, but it's not exactly strictly restful. Well, we didn't talk a whole lot about Doug's insight on nutrition or strength training, things like that today, but we're going to go ahead and turn to our key takeaways for the day. So Creed, why don't you start us off? What, what are some of the things that you think are most important to take away from the interview with Doug? Doug started talking about ethics and withholding information, something we've talked about. One of the key questions or ideas that he addressed in that area is what I am going to do hurting or helping someone. 
And that's big for me as a leader in different areas of, okay, if I share this information, if I take this action, is this going to hurt or is this going to help my team or this specific individual I'm coaching as a whole? And how do I feel about that? And how do I respond to that? Maria? I really enjoyed his emphasis on the quality of life. What kind of quality of life do we have? Do we want to have? Are we being proactive uh, in having a high quality of life? Austin, how about you? I think one of the biggest takeaways for me was uh, he said, Doug said this phrase, health comes first and performance second, which goes back to kind of his idea of balance um, and, and keeping everything in check. But at the end of the day, it's all about health. Um, it doesn't matter if you're lifting weights, if you're doing a diet, if you do whatever, at the end of the day, the focus and intention should be on health. And so that's going to check and balance all of these things that you're doing. Um, I think probably my other big takeaway that he said is whatever you're doing, ask why. And then when you find the answer, ask why again. I think that for me was the real kicker because I'm pretty good about asking why. I'm a pretty analytical person. So for him to say, okay, once you figure out the answer though, ask why one more time just to get that extra layer down in there. I I thought that that was really, really insightful. Yeah. And the three takeaways for me were, first of all, you have the ability to affect change in your own life. So make sure you're living life in such a way where you can actually see that happening. The second one is when it comes to the important things in life, find people who can give you more than just their opinion. And the final thing is if you're leading, find the answers that you need and your followers need. If you let your pride get in the way of this process, then you can end up hurting yourself and hurting others. Austin, Creed, Maria, thank you so much for joining the podcast this week. Absolutely. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this week's interview with someone you think would benefit from it. Or three, give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well. Thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. 
When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, Business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If Business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon, and until then, keep living and leading well.